Oh, good morning. It's good to see you this morning, and uh, it's a real joy to be able to share something from God's Word on this first Sunday in Advent. I'd like to read to you from John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can follow, otherwise just, uh, just listen. But John chapter 15, commencing at verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. I have told you this, said Jesus, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. On that first Christmas night, in the fields surrounding the small town of Bethlehem, the night sky was lit up with the glory of God. And a group of shepherds who were considered to be outcast by the religious were treated to a spectacular yet terrifying angelic visitation. And the opening words of the angel to those shepherds were, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. And that great joy was not to be found in some new religion, but was to be found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And on this first Sunday in Advent, my desire is that we might consider together this incredible joy that Jesus is offering us. This great joy, this indescribable joy. And you know the human heart craves for such joy? Joy is a a universal pursuit. And so many look for that joy in so many areas. For some, they look for that joy in relationships, in pleasures, in wealth. And although fleeting happiness can be found in those areas, deep and enduring joy can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Good news of great joy. Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Notice that Jesus is not simply offering us joy. 
He's offering us his own joy. And in order for us to kind of get excited about that, and for that to really impact us, we have to recognize something about Jesus that I believe so often is overlooked. Jesus Christ was and is and always will be the most joyful person in the universe. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ was and is and always will be the most joyful being in all of the universe. I kind of guess that that is so often overlooked. In all the portraits that have been painted of Jesus, obviously people guessing what his face might look like. And over the centuries, some of the most famous artists have painted images of Jesus. But I am guessing that many of them overlook the fact that Jesus was and is the most joyful person in the universe. I did a quick Google image search just a, a few weeks ago, a bit of spare time. I thought, type in Jesus into Google, look at the images, and I struggled to find any image, even with a faint smile on Jesus' face, let alone exuberant joy. If you walk into many uh, kind of high churches, Catholic churches today, you will simply see a Jesus who is the man of sorrows. And of course, Isaiah prophesied that, that Jesus would go through incredible suffering and sorrow in order to secure and purchase our salvation. And yet, the Bible also tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 that it was the joy that was set before him that enabled him to endure the cross. I want to say it again. Jesus was and is and always will be the happiest person in the universe. Otherwise, that statement is not so exciting. That Jesus looks at us today and he said, I've told you this so that my joy, my joy may be in you. The writer to the Hebrews, quoting from uh, Psalm 45, uh, describes Jesus and he says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. I think the King James Version says, anointing you with the oil of gladness. I love that, but the trouble with gladness is it's lost something of its meaning over the years. We might see somebody for the first time and say, I was glad to see you. Now, I don't know what you mean by that, but maybe we do not mean I was filled with overwhelming and exuberant joy when I saw you. I was glad to see you. That's what it meant when we read that within the scriptures. Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. No wonder the word of God says that uh, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Hallelujah. We've got something to look forward to there. Joy is the serious business of heaven. You know, this joy that Jesus is describing here is totally independent of our, uh, our temperament and of our circumstances. Let me just briefly mention temperament. You know, we're all different, aren't we? And there are some people who have a temperament where they seem always to be cheerful. I've spoken to people who, you know, struggle to find, as they look back over their lives, a day when they felt slightly down. Others of us, well, we know what it is to have bouts of melancholy and maybe grapple with areas of depression personally as part of my story. 
But I want to tell you today that the joy that Jesus is describing has nothing to do with our temperament. Because it's not our joy, it's his joy. Hallelujah. And he is the most joyful person in the universe. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's generally accepted that the most joyful letter that Paul ever wrote is the letter he wrote to the church at Philippi. And in that short letter that we have in our scriptures, Philippians, joy, rejoicing are mentioned something like 19 times. Paul is just bubbling up with joy as he writes this letter. He just cannot help but praise God. The joy just keeps coming to the surface of his life. But his circumstances when he wrote that letter was dire. He's in prison. He is restricted. He is confined. He is limited. He cannot go where he wants to go. He cannot do what he wants to do. And uh, he is on trial or he's awaiting trial for his life. The outcome could be either his execution or his release. He's quite confident it will be his release. If that wasn't bad enough, while he's in prison, some so-called Christians were trying to stir up trouble for him. They were kind of preaching the gospel, but they were preaching it from wrong motives. Trying to make trouble for Paul. You think, Paul, that's tough. That's difficult. And yet, Paul just overflows with joy. This is what he says. He says this. He said, what does it matter? You know, as long as Christ is being preached, I will rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Joy just keeps bubbling to the surface of his life and overflowing in praise. In Acts chapter 5, we read that the apostles were arrested, they were threatened, and they were flogged. Painful. They were flogged and then released. And the Bible says that when they left the Sanhedrin, they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. James, in his letter, chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Are you getting the message? This joy has nothing to do with our circumstances. In a verse that Pastor Steve quoted a couple of weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 and 2, we read this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy... And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, you don't normally get those phrases all together in one sentence, do you? If you were doing a word association test, I don't know if it's still done these days, and uh, you were sitting there on the counselor's couch or whatever, and they said, I'm going to tell you some words, and I want you to tell me the first words that come into your mind. Severe trial. And you say, overflowing joy. And it, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Let's try another one. Extreme poverty. And you say rich generosity. They're going to be scratching their heads. But that's what the grace of God does. You see, overflowing joy, exuberant joy, does not simply come when all the circumstances are lined up rightly within our lives. When we have good health and plenty of money in the bank and uh, kind of one of those rare times where there doesn't seem to be too many problems in our life, then we think, now I can know joy. No. This exuberant joy 
that Jesus is speaking of comes even in the midst of the darkest days of our lives. I grew up in the 1960s and, you know, you're looking and think, surely not. But uh, maybe you're not. Maybe that's just uh, I'm living in cloud cuckoo land. But um, one of the great heroes of the Christian faith was a guy called Richard Wombrand. He was a Romanian Jew, Christian minister, and uh, he spoke out against the communist uh, regime, saying that it was incompatible with Christianity. And he was imprisoned for 14 years, three of those years in solitary confinement. Just, just let that sink in, three years in solitary confinement. And he was tortured mercilessly, and they sought day after day after day to break him and to make him recant his Christian faith. He lived actually to a ripe old age when eventually he was released. The, his supporters bribed the authorities to let him go. And he lived into a ripe old age, still carrying the scars on his body of the terrible torture that he went through. Wrote his autobiography, Tortured for Christ. And in that autobiography, this is what he writes. He says, after a day of being tortured and going through all of that pain, he says, alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I danced for joy every night. He goes on to say, sometimes I was so filled with joy, I felt I would burst if I did not give joy expression. Isn't that incredible? The joy that Jesus offers us today is not a joy that is dictated to by circumstances. Hallelujah. Even in the cell that Richard Wombram was in, the joy of God filled his heart. He wasn't saying, I, I, I ought to rejoice. As painful, through gritted teeth, I will rejoice. No, he was saying the joy of Jesus just welled up within my heart and I felt I would burst if I did not give joy expression. Friends, today we have to ask ourselves the question, of course, if we're going to interpret the scriptures properly. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy would be complete. And surely the question we have to ask today is what had Jesus told them? What is this key to this incredible joy that Jesus is speaking of? In the passages surrounding this statement Jesus has been talking about his departure and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus has been preparing his disciples. But in the verses immediately preceding this statement about joy, Jesus has been talking about fruitfulness. It's one of the classic passages within Scripture about fruitfulness. He talks about bearing fruit, bearing more fruit, bearing much fruit, bearing fruit that will last. All about being fruitful as a Christian. But I find it very interesting, in a whole passage that is all about being fruitful, Jesus not once commands us to be fruitful. Not once does he say to those early disciples, you must be fruitful. It's vital that you are fruitful. In one sense, it was. I mean, they were the first generation of believers. You know, if they weren't fruitful, where would the church be? If they had not managed to see people come to Christ, where would the church be? But not once does Jesus say, whatever you do, be fruitful, be fruitful. He just has one repeated command, remain in me, remain in me. You must remain in me. As the branch remains in the vine, so you must remain in me. You see, fruitfulness is not something that we strain and struggle to try and produce. 
Fruitfulness is a natural byproduct of something else. And that is remaining in Christ. Jesus was looking at those early disciples. And he said, our relationship must be your highest priority. Our relationship must be your highest priority in the midst of busyness, in the midst of all of the activity that you're going to be involved in with all the responsibility. Our relationship, fellowship with Jesus, fellowship, communion with Jesus must be their highest priority. He was saying to them, without me you can do nothing. You know, your very fruitfulness depends upon that connection with me and maintaining that connection with me. Jesus was saying, I want you to draw your very vitality, your very strength from your relationship with me. Friends, it's so easy to make the Christian life about something else. Jesus must be central. He must be central. And everything else must be secondary compared to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus had been telling them, remain in me. The Apostle Peter in his first letter, writing to what would be second generation Christians, those who had never met Jesus physically, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an indescribable and glorious joy. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying that actually that indescribable joy flows from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Remain in me, you know, love him, trust him, and out of that relationship comes this incredible joy. I think one of the great challenges for some of us who've been Christians maybe for many years, the danger is that we lose our passion for Jesus Christ. We lose our excitement about Jesus. Because many years ago we were excited when we came to Jesus, but the years have now passed. And our familiarity with Jesus can rob us of that sense of wonder and awe. When I read through Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, I get the distinct impression that when he mentions the name of Jesus, his heart skips a beat. His letters are full of incredible doctrine and theology. But somehow it seems that through his letters he keeps getting overcome with his passion for Jesus. He keeps bursting out into praise. In Philippians chapter 1 and those early verses he says, For to me to live is Christ. What was he saying? He said my whole life revolves around Jesus. Jesus is my reason for living. A little later on in that joyful letter, in chapter 3, he describes his relationship with Jesus and he talks about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And yet a few verses later, there's a cry that comes out of his heart, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing with him in his sufferings, uh, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He, he, he wants to know Christ. You say, Paul, I thought you knew him. But Paul would say there is so much more to know of Jesus Christ. I uh, first encountered Jesus as a small child when my Sunday school teacher 
told the stories of Jesus using the flannel graph. Now, I realize that there are people younger than me here, people who've grown up with iPads and iPhones and all the visual stuff, computers. The flannel graph was wonderful. It was a big piece of fuzzy felt, and the teacher would get, you know, cut out figures of Jesus from fuzzy felt. I've lost the younger generation right now. The older ones are just filled with a lovely sense of nostalgia, if you were around when I was a child in Sunday school. And and they would tell the stories of Jesus. My first image of Jesus was a a fuzzy felt cut-out shape of Jesus. It was riveting. But I'm so grateful today that my understanding of Jesus has grown since then. And I'm grateful today that there came a time in my life when I encountered Jesus personally. became my Lord and Saviour. But I'm also grateful today that over the, you know, the, oh gosh, many, many years, um, over those decades, you know, Jesus has been expanded in my vision. I realize that something more of Jesus is being revealed to me day after day as I read the scriptures, as the Holy Spirit illuminates the word of God. The Apostle Peter, right at the end of his second letter, he exhorts us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior Jesus. You know, God's plan for our lives is this, that after encountering Jesus, our love, our understanding, our vision of Jesus is ever expanding until that moment when we see him face to face and we are instantly fully transformed into his likeness. But friends, We don't just kind of look forward to that day. I want to suggest to you this morning that there is so much more of Jesus to grasp. One day we will gaze upon his incredible face. One day as we step from time into eternity, we will see the face of Jesus that will be the most stunning sight that we have ever seen. There are some incredible sights to see in this world whether it be the Grand Canyon, the Victoria Falls, those majestic mountain scenes in Canada or Switzerland, the, you know, the Northern Lights, or maybe it's some of those images that have come from the Hubble Space Telescope of the, you know, the myriads of st- stars and galaxies. But I want to tell you the most stunning sight that we will ever see is the face of Jesus Christ. His resplendent majesty. His captivating and indescribable beauty. And there will come a moment when we see Jesus and and suddenly we will be so impacted by his love and by his power and by his majesty and by his beauty that I kind of get the feeling that maybe it will cross some of our minds. If only I had caught a greater glimpse of Jesus while I was on earth facing some of those challenges and some of those trials. And I guess that was something of what was in Paul's mind. When in Ephesians chapter 3, he prays for the church. That by the Spirit of God, that God would give us the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge. Paul was saying as he was praying, God I don't want the church to wait until heaven to see how much you love them. I don't want the church to wait until they step from time into eternity. God, by your spirit, enlarge their vision of Jesus Christ. I tell you today, there's hardly a day that passes in my life where I don't cry out to God, I want to see more of Jesus. 
Because I realize that's the greatest need I have today. To see Jesus Christ as he really is. To behold his glory. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians in chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, sorry, verse 6. He talks about that wonderful experience. He says, the God who says, let light shine out of darkness has caused his light to shine in our hearts to give us the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Friends, there's more of Christ to see. As we read the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word of God and to present Christ to us, Friends, today I believe until the day we die, we can be those like Paul. The very mention of his name causes our hearts to skip a beat. And finally this morning, I want to suggest to you that we have an obligation to embrace every bit of joy that Jesus is offering us. John Piper, great Christian teacher, preacher, he said this, He said, talking about the greatest command, he said this, he said, what do you think is the most repeated command in the Bible? It's not any of the prohibitions about sex or money or power. The most repeated command in the Bible will probably surprise you. Be happy. (laughs) God tells us more than anything else in different ways to praise the Lord. Do not be afraid. Rejoice and give thanks. All of which are commands in essence to be happy. He goes on to say, let that sink in. More than anything else, God commands us to be happy. Now I say that as somebody, as I said, who's grappled with levels of depression most of my life. But I realize the challenge of the word of God. That there is a joy. And praise God, I've discovered it and I want to know more of it. That can be found in the person of God. Of Jesus Christ and for the sake of Christ's glory and for the sake of those who as yet have not found Christ we have an obligation to pursue greater levels of that joy that Jesus is offering us and I close this morning just uh, as I was considering the fact of Advent that's strange that pen fell off this morning in the first service um, as uh, I was thinking of Advent I came across a little book by John Piper good news of great joy I haven't copied my sermon from there, I've got to say. I only read the introduction uh, yesterday. But this is what he says in the introduction. He says, what I want for Christmas this year is to join with you and many others in seeing Christ in all his fullness. And that we together be able to love what we see with a love beyond our own half-hearted human capacities. We want together to see and savour Jesus, whose first advent we celebrate, and whose second coming, whose second advent we anticipate. Can I say it again? Jesus is the most joyful person in all of the universe. He says to you and I today, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Friends, out of that fellowship with Jesus is an incredible, indescribable joy. And Jesus says to us today, he says, I want you to know my joy, my unbounded, unconfined, irrepressible, indescribable, indestructible joy. I want you to know my joy that sustains and strengthens you. May God grant that this Christmas we see more of Jesus 
and experience more of the joy that he offers. May the Lord bless you. Amen.